0: Thanks Trevor. Good morning everyone. Great to be here with you this morning. Let's pray as we uh, get our hearts ready to hear from God. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you uh, for this particular word to us about the vine and the branches. We pray that you would speak to us, comfort us, challenge us uh, and may your Holy Spirit um, apply it to our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was October the 20th, uh, 2002. It was a cold, windy morning in Beijing. It was about the 35k mark of the Beijing Marathon that I hit the uh, what, what runners call the wall. Uh, my friend Matt and I were running our first marathon. And let me tell you, I was dead. Uh, I, don't know, I didn't know how I was going to make it Through the next 100 metres, let alone the next 7 k's that the race still had to run. The only thing that kept me going and stopped me from falling into a quivering heap by the side of the road was my friend Matt uh, cajoling me, praying for me, urging me on, doing everything he could to keep me going. At one point, when we were going up a hill, he actually grabbed my hand and pretty much literally pulled me up the hill. I was totally reliant on him to get me over that finishing line. It was like I fed off his strength and support during those last few Ks. Well, in today's passage from John 15, Jesus uses the picture of a vine and the branches on that vine to show us how reliant we are on Jesus. As believers, we are totally dependent on him for our very life. And we'll see today that it's only by remaining in him that we are able to bear fruit in our lives. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, we've got um, uh, points in the bulletin. Um, I'm afraid I haven't got a PowerPoint because I did one and then promptly forgot it. Um, but you will be able to follow along uh, from, the, from the bulletin. Our passage is divided into two sections, uh, verses 1 to 8. Jesus gives us his word picture uh, of the vine and the branches to illustrate our relationship with him. And then in the second half, from verses 9 to 17, Jesus unpacks what that means and explains what it means to, to remain in him and to bear fruit. So let's jump into our first point. Uh, Jesus starts off in verse 1 by declaring that he is the true vine and my father Is the gardener. Now, as he said these words, everyone listening who was a Jew would have understood that, would have made the connection between him saying that he was a vine and the picture of, or the idea of the vine in the Old Testament describing God's people Israel. Um, Just listen to me from, you don't have to turn to it, from the words of Psalm 80 as one example. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? And then later on in the psalm, Your vine is cut down, it is burnt with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. So Israel here is described as the vine that God lovingly tended and cared for, but then something goes wrong and the vine is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other places in the Old Testament, we're told what, what, what it is that goes wrong and what it is that goes wrong is that Israel failed to bear fruit and is useless And so God cuts it down. Here Jesus says that he is the true vine. He is saying that he is the true Israel. The nation of Israel had failed to bear fruit, but Jesus has done what Israel could not do. He bears fruit for God. And in a moment we'll look at what that means. He is the new Israel. He is the one man who faithfully obeys God. But he is more than that because he is also the source of us bearing fruit. Look at verse 4 with me. Remain in me and I also will remain in you. And I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we are the branches. We're connected to the vine and we cannot bear fruit unless we remain in Jesus unless we stay connected to him. So what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Think of the relationship of a branch and a vine. I don't know how familiar you are with grapevines, but think of any plant uh, that that has branches and kind of a main trunk or or vine. A branch has no life without the main part of the plant, the um, the vine. The vine is the source of life. Um, The the life comes from, from the core of it and goes to the whole plant. A branch has to be inseparably connected at all times to the vine, doesn't it? Or else it dies. It cannot survive on its own. Um, Now, uh, I've shared before that I grew up on a sheep farm. And uh, on the sheep farm, probably the month of August is the most important month of the year uh, because it's lambing time. Uh, It was a very busy time for us. Dad, my brother and I would spend many hours in the freezing cold driving around or walking around the paddocks checking the lambing ewes and helping to reunite stray lambs with their, with the ewes, with their mothers. Um, sheep are incredibly stupid animals and it doesn't take much at all for a mother to forget that she's had a lamb and just wander off and then the, then the lambs don't realise she's gone and they're stranded. Um, Unless we found them within an hour or two of them being born, being stranded by their mother and reunited them, they, they would die. Um, they, they were so vulnerable and dependent, they relied totally on the life of their mother for them to survive. And that's what it's like for us with Jesus. We are totally dependent on him. The ability for us to bear fruit comes totally from the vine. Because Jesus is our life source. So you may be thinking, okay, Marshall, I get it. It's about depending on Jesus. But but practically, what does that look like? How do I do that? Hold on to that thought because in our second section, verses 5 to 8, it helps us to answer that question. And we move on to point number two, where Jesus continues the theme of bearing fruit by remaining in him. And he gives us a clue about how we are to remain in him. We are to hear Jesus' words and to respond back to him with words of our own in prayer. Have a look at verse 7 with me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's Jesus' words, the words of the gospel that saves us, right? by hearing of what he did on the cross, how he came to earth to die for our sins and that we are to put our trust in him. And it's his words that we are to live by, day by day, um, moment by moment. His teaching, his commandments, they draw us to himself and they keep us in him. They remind us of who he is. They call us to turn away from our sin as, as we did this morning in the service. And to follow him as our king. Jesus talks about the effect of that back in verse 3. Have a look. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Being clean is the idea of being forgiven, of, of being cleansed from our sins. Again, Jesus did that for his disciples and he does that for us. We are his disciples by causing us to trust in what he did and to take away our sins at the cross. And it's not just a matter of hearing words from Jesus, but back to verse 7, they need to remain in us. It's that idea of us dwelling on Jesus' words, allowing them to seep into our very being, taking them to heart, allowing those to change us. And then we'll see in a moment that we need to act on those words. Then in the second half of verse 7, Jesus tells us what will we result if his words remain in us. second half of verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. We talk God's words back to him in prayer. Oh, sorry, we talk back to God. Jesus' words lead to our own words expressing our dependence on him. And it's a big promise, isn't it? It's a bold promise. Whatever you ask, whatever you want, it will be given to you. Now, that doesn't mean that I pray silly prayers, does it? It doesn't mean that I ask him for a Ferrari and then expect it to appear in the driveway this afternoon when I get home. It doesn't mean I ask for silly, selfish things out of greed. It doesn't mean that we name it and claim it, that we demand from God whatever comes into our head no no no. asking God and receiving happens if his words remain in us that means if you are living God living in God's words it will shape the way you think and it will inform it will shape the way we pray the things that we will ask for are things like praying for the ability to love him more to serve him better Praying for people like we did this morning for their own good. Praying for the salvation for others, for our friends, family. Things after God's own heart. Things which God delights to give us when we ask for them. So as we remain in Jesus, words become a two-way thing, don't they? They express our relationship, a living, intimate communion with Jesus um, I, in my relationship with my wife I didn't warn Julie that I was going to use her as an illustration, sorry about that uh, words are central to how we relate together um, they're, they're not the only aspect of our relationship obviously but the way I listen to Julie um, the, the way that her words remain with me in a sense uh, that, that I treat what she says as important her desires, her dreams things that upset her as well Uh, And then the words that I say to her back, they all reflect our level of intimacy and our closeness of our relationship. So words are central to what it means to remain in Jesus. Our whole relationship is driven by his words to us. That's why we can never leave God's word because it's that word that shows us how to worship him, in the way that he wants, not just the way we want. It lets God define our theology and not us. It prevents us from wandering away from the truth to to all sorts of wrong ways of worship based on feelings and our own desires rather than truth as God gives it to us. So practically, what does it mean to remain in God's word? First and foremost, every Christian each and every one of us ought to be feeding ourselves each day on God's Word. Um, and I want to suggest that personal Bible reading is, is kind of like the... Um, uh, it should be a given. It should be central to what we do in our Christian life. And the best way to do that is to read decent-sized chunks of the Bible every day in a systematic way, working your way through the whole Bible. Not the only way, but I suggest that's that's the best way. Because that way you see the story of God, God's salvation story for the world unfold and you see how it all fits together. You get to see how the New Testament fits with the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills the prophecy of the whole Bible. And besides personal Bible reading, join a CG if you haven't or become regular or if you are irregular Study the Bible with others. Grab a friend and read them one-to-one. We we might have to go uh, online to do this now with the the whole COVID-19 thing. But there are ways of doing it with technology. Come to church expecting to hear from God. Because these are the words of eternal life. Let them remain in you. So remaining in Jesus is about being centred around Jesus' words and as we've seen, we then respond to him with our own words in prayer that expresses our dependence on him for everything that we have, everything that we need. Whatever we ask will be given to us. Jesus wants us to pray confidently, boldly, because he's a good God who loves to give his children good things. And then in our third section, Jesus explains what it looks like to bear fruit. We bear fruit by loving one another. And the fruit of love comes because God has first loved us. Have a look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Right through John's Gospel, we see this focus on the love and the relationship the Father has with the Son. And here Jesus tells his disciples, I have loved you the way the Father has loved me. Now remain in that love. Stay connected to his love. Let it dwell in us. Trust in the reality of it. of it, And let it shape us. Let it change us. And then in verse 10, Jesus tells us how we're to remain in His love. Have a look at it with me. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. That's how Jesus' love becomes real to us when we keep His commands. Again, there's a connection with Jesus' words, aren't they? Isn't it? His words remain in us. They bear fruit in our obedience. To those commands when we step out and act in love it helps us to love us more have you ever experienced that let me try to illustrate it with actually a negative example Uh, i have a friend uh, one of my best friends was a missionary uh, in turkey Uh, one day we were talking about something in the news at the time turkey was threatening to bomb kurdish communities in northern syria Uh, and i asked steve steve why, why do the, the Turkish government hate the Kurds so much? Steve's answer was, because they do. Uh, that puzzled me, but then he explained what he meant. He said, for at least the last hundred years, the, the Turks have hated the Kurds. And that hatred has bred more hatred. And we've seen the same thing happen throughout history, 20th century history, Uh, Nazis and the Jews, Pol Pot and the Cambodian middle class, list goes on. The enemy becomes an object to be hated because they're dehumanised and it becomes a downward spiral. Now, flip that around. When we love someone, it breeds more love. When I treat my neighbour as a person and not as an object when I see them as, uh, as having dignity, made in the image of God, then I begin to see them through God's eyes and I begin to love them more as someone who is precious to Jesus, someone who Jesus died for. And when we keep Jesus' commands and obey his words, we see how his love works. It takes on flesh and blood. So we are to keep Jesus' commands And Jesus goes on to make the connection between his commands and love and to show us what that looks like in verse 12. Have a look at it with me. Verse 12, now remain, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. We know how to love because Jesus first loved us. And he did that in the greatest possible way. He laid down his life willingly for us. He causes his friends and he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross for us. Friends, there is no greater expression of love possible than that. Not just an example of sacrifice. But because Jesus' love brought us forgiveness for our sin with God, it enabled us to no longer be enemies, rather than being enemies with our Creator. We are now called his friends. And the massive call Jesus gives to us is to love each other in the same way, to be willing to lay down our lives for each other, Now there's so much we could we could devote a whole sermon just to that verse. So much we could say about that. Uh, If you remember, if you're here in January, you may remember that we actually looked at that very question uh, when we studied this part of the passage in the Head Heart Hands series. Just to summarize, what I suggested then was that Jesus is challenging us to love without limits, to not put boundaries on how far we are to be willing to go for others. And we also noted that it wasn't love out of duty. It wasn't a a grit your teeth, I must do this so I'm going to love this person. No, our relationship with Jesus and our obedience on him are based on joy. It says that back in verse 11. When we remain in his love, Our relationship with Jesus and our our obedience come from the joy we feel and it leads to more joy. It's the kind of joy that comes from an intimate relationship between friends which is what Jesus calls us in verse 15. We obey Jesus' commands not as a servant obeys their master but as Jesus the Son obeys his Father. We are to love Jesus in the same way. Number four, our last, our last point. Jesus says, have a look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We are friends with God because Jesus chose us. Now your experience, I wonder what your experience of becoming a Christian was. I suspect that you have a story that goes something like that at some point, um, might have been last year, it might have been 10 years ago or more, uh, that, that you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus. Uh, we, we often talk in that sort of language, making a decision, decision of the will, uh, which is all very true and it's very legitimate to talk in those terms. Um, but Jesus says very clearly here that we did not choose him, but he chose us. What he's saying, he's not, not invalidating our choice, but he's saying that, that the overwhelmingly um, significant choice here isn't our choice of God, it's his choice of us. Because it's that choice that changes everything. Without him choosing you, you would never have given God a second thought. Without him calling you, you would never have turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. You see, the Bible does say, yes, our our choice matters and, and it's constantly calling us to repent and turn to God. But the Bible is also very clear that That the choice that makes a difference, that changes us, is God's choice of us. Our choice matters, but it was always God saying, Tom, you're mine. Mikey, I'm going to save you. Now I realize that this is a really hard truth for us to get our heads around. How how does God possibly choose us when when in our experience it's us choosing Him? But when we understand it, isn't it the most wonderful truth? Because it assures us that we that what God has done can't be undone. He doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't change his mind. If he has chosen you, that decision can't be unchosen, can't be undone. If our salvation is us, you see, we're in trouble. If it's really me who chooses Jesus, then, then I might wake up tomorrow and decide I don't like being a Christian anymore. Or if it's up to my performance, I'm equally in trouble. Oh, yeah, I might do all right from 11 o'clock to 12.30 on a Sunday. I've got to, I'm a pastor. But Sunday night, I might, I might have a row with my wife. Um, I might watch things on Netflix or on my computer that I'm ashamed of later. And then I can't really say with any confidence at all that I obey Jesus' commands and that I hold on to him. Suddenly, my relationship with him feels Shaky. Do you see what I mean? But my relationship with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus is secure. Why? Not because we choose him, but because he has chosen you. And he chose you if you trust in him. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on how much you love him. It's not even dependent on how much fruit you bear. Now, that's not to say that that bearing fruit isn't important. This whole passage is about bearing fruit. The second half of verse 16 does go on to talk about that. Have a look at it. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Now, Jesus isn't saying this as a burden, like as, as a weight on our shoulders. Oh, I've got to bear more fruit in my life. He's saying it as an encouragement. The tone of it is that he's saying, don't worry, you will bear fruit because I chose you to bear fruit. And I believe that God's word for each one of us here at SWEC today is that if you remain in Jesus, he will bear fruit in you. That's why he chose you. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, Marshall, that's all very well. But... um, that that doesn't doesn 't apply to me you see i 'm no good with people i 've got nothing to offer, or perhaps you 're thinking no 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 god can 't use me i i'm i 'm struggling with too many issues at the moment. my sin is too god, too much god can 't use me or i 'm struggling so much with depression or worries or uh, coronavirus I got nothing to give at the moment. But you know what? God knew all that when He chose you. He knew your struggles. He knows you better than you know yourself. He doesn't make mistakes. His plan from before the creation of the world was to choose you and to use your unique personality to use your mix of gifts, to use you warts and all to bear the particular fruit that he chose for you, for his glory. Fruit that only you can produce. And God uses your struggles. He uses your trials. He uses your battle with sin to shape us, to, to make us into his image, to make us more compassionate, to mold us to be more dependent on him to be more usable by him. And the wonderful truth that God chooses us also feeds back into the first part of our passage. Jesus tells us to remain in him as we've seen. But instead of worrying that, that I hey, what if I let go? What if I, I face too weak to remain in him? What if, what if? Instead of worrying about that, we can read these words with confidence that Jesus won't let go of us. Now, Jesus does give us some warnings in this passage, doesn't he? There's there's one in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Then jump down to verse 6 again. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. These are words of warning so we won't get complacent. So we don't become overconfident in our ability to walk with Jesus and think it's all up to us and I'm okay, I'm doing well. I'm able to hold on to Jesus in my own strength. But if your confidence is in Jesus and not on, your, not on yourself, this passage is a word of comfort. Jesus chose you. He's not going to let go of you. Or you may struggle in your faith. There, there are times when you may feel like you're barely holding on. But Jesus doesn't make mistakes, He's holding on to you with His strong hands. Hands that don't let go. And as you remain in him, be confident, be joyful and bear fruit of love. Because Jesus loved us first. Amen.